At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Monique, and this is episode 95 of the Brown Vegan Podcast. And with this podcast, I love to show veganism from a practical perspective to help inspire everyday people to start their journeys in a way that feels good to them. I also love to discuss wellness topics because I feel like this is a lifestyle. It's so much more than food. And so that is what I will be doing a lot more of in 2019, just talking more about the business end of things and wellness. And so this episode is a perfect example of the wellness topics that I really want to dive into this year because I have Nori Ponsel on the show. She's a life coach. She helps millennial women who are feeling stuck, women who are feeling unfulfilled or struggling with depression, helping them overcome their pain so that they're able to live the life that they want. We dive into Nori's story, her experience with depression, how she was able to overcome that, how she was able to become more intentional about her life so that she can live the life that she wants, the best life that she wants for herself. We also talk about some of the triggers and symptoms that you need to think about if you are someone that is dealing with depression. And I feel like even though we talked a lot about depression, this conversation really is about intentional living and healing. That's what I feel like this conversation is about. So yeah, before we get into the episode, shout out to Chelsea Williams from thatschelsea.com for connecting me with Nori. They're really good friends and she said she thought she would be a great guest and I agree. It's a great conversation and that's the thing I love about podcasting is it allows me to be connected with so many people from all over the world and with so many different experiences and so I'm just truly grateful that I get to do this work. I also want to take a second and thank all of the listeners new and old who have been rocking with me. I really appreciate it. And I just look forward to just bringing you a lot more conversations this year. So yes, thanks for rocking with me. It's much appreciated. As always, the show notes and everything I mentioned in this episode can be found at brownvegan.com. Everything will be under episode 95. And so yes, without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into Nori's story. Um, I think my story as well, starts in really 87, but we're not going to go that back. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can really pick it up in around 2010, where I graduated from undergraduate school. I went to the Rochester Institute of Technology, and I, I attended RIT for liberal arts, so no technology there. But um, when I graduated at the height of the recession, I didn't have a job, and I was depressed. I wasn't diagnosed at the time, but I was depressed um, because I had been looking for work for like six months and I was going to graduate with dual degrees. So that just means that I had two pieces of paper with degrees on them. And I felt like these two pieces of paper meant something and someone should be hiring me and paying me a lot of money to do something because that's what the system says happens. And it wasn't happening that way. And I was very, very disappointed. And, and I felt like I had done it wrong. Mm-hmm. I felt like if I would have gotten better grades, if I would have pushed myself harder, if I would have party less, maybe I would have done better and I would have had a job right now. So that was really hard. And that's how I ended up going to Honduras to visit my family. And they helped me lose the weight because I gained a lot of weight too. I gained like 20 pounds in the middle of my depression because I'm a stress eater. Mm-hmm. I know you're learning so much about me so quickly, guys, but <laughs> I'm a stress eater. I didn't have a job when I graduated from undergrad for like six months at least and I had I was 20 pounds heavier when I graduated and I had booked this trip to go to Honduras to see my family where I'm from and when I went home I was going to cancel this trip to be honest with you because I felt like what was there to celebrate Mm -hmm. and I decided that no I'm going to go and airlines weren't giving me no refund so there's that 
So I went home and my family was like, what's up with you? Like, we've never seen you this big before. And they're a very honest, very brutally honest family. And two of my cousins helped me get in track with the weight stuff. And at the time I thought it's just the weight stuff we need to worry about. That's really where the core of everything is. Like if I'm okay, then this depression situation is not going to be an issue for me. So they helped me a lot with the fitness stuff and just exercising, eating properly, not eating some things, eating less of other things, eating more of other things. And I was able to get really control of the weight stuff, but not the depression because once I started feeling healthier, I just felt like the depression went away, you know? So I was good until 2016. 2016, by now, a few things have happened in my life. At that point, I was married already. I was living in D.C. I'm originally from New York City. And then I also was making the most money I had made to that point. I was working at this job, a director of communications, and, and I was making really good money there. And... um. My favorite uncle was murdered in Honduras. And that that was really tough because he was the first person that I had loved that much that had died mm-hmm. in my adult life. And you know, when you experience death, when you experience death as a, as a child, there's so much you don't know and so much adults can tell you and you just believe it because you're a kid. But when you're an adult and you have relationships with these people, people and you remember them and, and you have like adult memories with them, it, it was really hard. And, and that's when I was actually diagnosed and I was diagnosed with transitional depression. And at this point, I already realized that I needed to address the depression because I noticed that when I kept on losing the weight, I kept on getting it back. And I'm like, why is this happening? Um, <laughs> but slowly, slowly, I, I kept on thinking, well, maybe there's something I'm not getting at. And, and my uncle's death was the catalyst that helped me realize what I wasn't getting. And it really helped me understand that I really, really needed to, to just slow down a little bit and process my feelings. And there was so many things I hadn't been processing. And, and by, the, by 2016, I had been helping people with weight loss stuff for almost six years. So I started doing that after I learned how to do it in 2010, 2011. So I started helping people do that. And that's kind of how I entered the wellness space. And 2016 really made me reevaluate a lot of things. It made me reevaluate if I was doing the work that I really should be doing because I was still working full time. And, and I just felt like this job was a good job, but I felt like I just had so many more talents that could be used to serve the universe that I wasn't tapping into. And this job had no way of being able to fully tap into every single bit of my potential. So I, I knew it was time to go, but I wasn't ready to let go yet. And my uncle's death was the catalyst that really helped me figure out how to get ready, that helped me realize that the time is now. And I had to make some of these changes because I remember going to my uncle's funeral and within a week I was back in the office. I had to fly to Honduras because that's where my family's at. So I fly to Honduras, right? And I get to the funeral and within five days I'm back in DC at the office and it was terrible. I was in so much pain. I just felt like, like I shouldn't be there. Like I should be home. I should be home with my family. I should be grieving. I should be hurting. I should be crying and not feeling bad about crying. And I just felt such intense emotions in my life at that point. So I relapsed into my depression for eight months. And that was a period of my time of my life where there was just, I had so many questions about what mattered, about what was important, about how I was living my life. Was I doing the right thing? What is the right thing? Um, and I just felt so stuck. I felt like I should be able to have these answers. I should know how to move. I am strong. I'm powerful. But at the same time, I felt like I didn't, I had an idea. I felt like I couldn't get out of my head. I felt like I was weak. I felt like I, I couldn't even get out of the bed some mornings. So when you face that type of situation in your life as an adult, you start really questioning a lot about yourself and you don't have any idea anymore about what's real and what's not. Everything is like a blur. And, and I think my husband was the one that said something to me about eight months in something to the effect of like, I don't know if your uncle would have wanted this for you or, or something like that. And I started thinking for the first time, what would he want from me? Like I had this, I had been so consumed by my pain that I had no idea I had even considered him and what he would have wanted for me. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I remember thinking about what my uncle used to always tell me when I got off the phone with him. And he would say, like, I want you to do what makes you happy, what brings you joy, what fills your spirit. Don't worry about what people want you to do. Like, do what you want to do. Don't let society tell you what to do. And it's a weird thing to tell your niece, but if y'all would have met him, y'all would have known, like, that's the only thing he could ever tell me, really. <laughs> <laughs> so he tells me this thing, and, and when he dies, I finally understand what he meant. And I realized that I had no idea what I, those things meant to me. I, had, I didn't know what made me happy. I didn't know what filled my spirit. I was doing the things I was told to do. I was following the rules. I was at a job. I had my husband, and I love my husband. Um, I lived in this gorgeous apartment in D.C. I just felt like I'm checking the boxes to fulfillment. I'm checking the, the boxes to success. And I just was so unhappy with the fact that none of those things really, truly made me happy. They were manifestations of potential happiness, but they weren't the reality. They weren't the real, the real deal, the real joy. So I went on this journey to figure it out, to figure out what brought me joy and what filled my spirit and what made me happy. And, and I'm excited to say that I found it. Yes. You have to tell us about that, Nori. Like, what is that? What did that process look like for you? How long did it take to get out of that? I know you said that you were in it for about eight months, but how long did it take for you to look up and say, okay, I'm feeling a lot better than I was? I think after the first eight months that I was depressed, and my husband asked me that question and I started asking myself those same questions and, and realizing that I didn't have the answers for myself, I think that sparked in me a desire to figure that out. And I have this love for knowledge. Like I love learning things. So once that desire was sparked, I feel like I started to surrender to where I was and how I was feeling. And I was willing to try to understand that. And I want to say that the day after that, I probably felt better because I was no longer running away from me. Mm. I was ready to view me and to accept me for who I was. And, and just the mere act of doing that, as simple as it may sound, which it isn't, no, but it wasn't to me, as, it just, just being able to say, wow, this is where I am. I don't have the answers about myself to myself okay I'm gonna get them yeah that 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 declaration just made me feel better yeah it's like you're liberated it, you kind yeah. of find out like yeah. okay this is the beginning of the next step also I feel Absolutely. like you kind of have to bottom out though that's the part that's the part that kind of oh it drives me crazy that part of like you have to come sometimes you have to be completely stripped away in order mm-hmm. to to come out and be able to go to the next level in your life and when you're in the thick of it, it's so hard to see that. Like you said before, it's just like when you, yeah. oh my God, it's so hard to see all of the positive and have gratitude. Yeah. You're like, all you want to do is put a blanket over your head and just nobody talk to me. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It's, what are some of the things that you did after you made that declaration to yourself? Like, what did you do next? So I make this declaration, right? And then I decide that I'm going to look for a therapist and... I had pretty good insurance, so I was able to find a therapist, and I wanted a therapist of color because it was very important to me that the person I was working with was a black woman, me being yes. a black woman myself. And then I, well, not only was it that it was important to me that she was a woman, but she was also a black woman. So there mm-hmm. were all these like layers to me that were important so that someone can fully understand me, right? And this perceptions and assumptions that I have made about what will make a successful therapist for me. So I started working with this woman, and I was seeing her once a week. And for the first time, I felt validated. I felt like I'm not tripping. Mm. Okay. So how I'm feeling is a real thing. Oh, other people feel like this. Okay, cool. Where is this feeling coming from? Oh, okay. We have to unpack some things there. All right. So I started seeing for the first time and really not even seeing, but feeling. I started feeling heard. I started feeling understood. And I also started feeling like I didn't have to defend, like I didn't have to defend how I was feeling. It was like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And this person accepted it. Mm. They accepted my feelings and I didn't have to, to put a case into like, you know, argue them out or something. Yes. And, and that just felt so good. That ice cream cone on a hot summer day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way about having a black therapist. And I know when I first started with therapy, my mom was like, 
because I was struggling and it took me so long to find someone that looked like me and that I could actually afford because my insurance wasn't good. It still isn't good. And mm-hmm. because of that, I know my mom was like, well, just talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. So much more than that. Like I needed somebody to kind of understand some of the things that I was saying. What's your experience with that? Why was that so important to you having a black therapist? I think it was important to me because people told me it was important to me. We talk a lot about the support black businesses and, you know, finding someone that understands your story. And, and we think about our stories from this very, this interesting perspective where we feel like you can only understand me if you look like me in, and that that automatically gives you a pass mm. to understand me. And sometimes there are people that look like us that don't understand us because they have not been through our experience, which is at the core what helps people understand us is that they've been through something similar and whatnot. So, and it's also what you need from the space. I think when I started therapy, I just wanted information. I wanted knowledge. I wanted to understand what was going on with me. So I will later learn that it really wasn't as critical that she was a woman or that she was black. Like, because the information that she gave me could have been given to me by anybody and it would have not, it wouldn't have changed drastically because it was very, it was information that from my perspective, right, it, it worked for what I needed. I asked the questions she had, she helped me understand some of these answers. And, and I think it was from the understanding of the work. And, and I think sometimes we rob ourselves from the opportunity to experiencing other people with different perspectives that we perceive are drastically different from ours, because we think that somebody that looks like us is going to have the same perspective as us. I got what I needed from her because I knew what I needed going in. And it wasn't a thing that has specifically to do with her being a black person or being a woman. It just, she was a psychologist, she was a therapist and she had therapist knowledge to give me. And I think when I spoke to her, even when I spoke about my issues with her, I, I didn't really feel like, like she was troubleshooting with me about those issues. I, felt or I perceived that I received from her understanding about why those issues were there and in, in, in at least kind of like where the digging needs to happen. And, and I, I didn't have that before. So, I mean, one of the things I say about therapy is like, if you have no idea what's going on, no knowledge of nothing, then therapy might be a really good place for you to start because they therapists have a space where they can share with you information that you have never considered because you don't ask yourself these questions and, and you don't think about the things that the therapists think about. Yeah, I went to therapy for about four to six months and then I stopped going to therapy. And the reason why I stopped going to therapy was because I felt that the therapy process was incomplete. And this could have been, I acknowledge this could be the result of the particular therapist I was working with or, you know, whatever circumstances was going on. There's so many things that could be the result of this, but Walking away from my experience with therapy, I felt that it was the process was a little incomplete. I felt that the therapy, the therapist, really helped me understand what was going on. It helped me feel validated, and it gave me a space where I felt heard and understood. But I also felt that the therapist was very focused on helping me manage my depression, and I wanted to. I got to a point where I wanted to really get to the root of my depression so that mm-hmm. I can address it and not be depressed again. And from my time with this particular person and just therapy in general, I just felt like this is not designed to help me get there. This is designed to help me continue to manage. And I don't want to manage. And I don't care if it's hard. I want to try to get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that was lacking for me in my process. I see what you're saying. It's kind of like you go to the doctor, they give you a pill, but they don't really get to the root of what's Mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. You still got it, whatever it is. You still got it because the exactly. pill is taking care of it for now, but he might come back. Yeah, it's only taking care of the symptoms. Do you think that depression can be cured or do you think it's a chemical imbalance? Like, how do you see that? I think it depends on what people define as depression. I find that in my journey, there are a lot of words that we utilize and we do not fully understand how other people are using these words. Like, it's the same word, but it means different things to them. And they interpret those things differently based on their experiences. To me, depression at the core of it, it's being stuck. Like a simple oversimplification, I understand. But there's this thing about being stuck. You are stuck in this mindset. You're stuck in this space. And as a result, you are paralyzed. And when you are paralyzed, you cannot move to either help yourself or make yourself. So because you cannot move 
you cannot do things to help your situation. And when you are in stuck, not doing anything is not always the right, it's not always helpful to you. So when you don't do anything, it actually makes your situation worse. And action is important, right? So to me, when I think about depression, it's this idea of being like really, really stuck where you cannot see past your immediate pain and it causes you to paralyze yourself in your actions. Mm -hmm. And that paralysis, you can't, you said you cannot get out of it. And, And because you cannot get out of it, you don't do things that help your situation and you get deeper into the situation. From my experience and my perspective, that's what I understand depression to be. How do you understand it to be? That's exactly how I see it too. And that's, and I, and I know exactly what that feels like because unfortunately that's my experience as well. It's mm-hmm. just, I can't, you're in the thick of it. You're like in the middle of it and you can't see past what's going on right that second. To me, it's, um, I'm in my bed and I'm mm-hmm. on my bed for days on end. And it's, not answering my phone when it rings. It's binge eating. It used mm-hmm. to be binge drinking. Or not eating. Or not eating. Well, I'm the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I eat instead of, <laughs> I prefer, you know. Or we, fortunately. Say, oh, fortunately, because, you know, if people are not eating, they're not getting anything. You know, at least if we are, if people are overeating, like either side, it depends on the perspective that you're looking at. Well, Oreos to me isn't eating either, Nori. <laughs> <laughs> eating a sleeve of Oreos is not a meal. <laughs> uh, you, are you serious? I'm That's serious. how I survive in undergraduate. What are you talking about? <laughs> sleeve of Oreos is definitely dinner. <laughs> Earlier, you asked me if I think depression can be cured. So based on my definition of depression, right? So this feeling of being stuck and being paralyzed and and as a result, your lack of action putting you deeper into this emotional abyss, I think that that can be cured. I think that there is a way to address that. And that's what I teach my clients how to do. It's how to get into that piece, how to start doing the work so that you don't find yourself in that position again and how to start noticing what are those triggers, but more importantly, addressing the triggers, right? Because I think, and I also told my clients about this today, actually. And she was sharing with me that there was a situation going on and she really needed, that it was a crisis for her. She needed to figure out how to address this and how to approach it. And I think a lot of times we don't know how to approach situations because we're so in it. So we cannot step away unless someone is walking us through the step in the way process. Mm-hmm. And when we are stepped away, we can see like, okay, there are other options. Because a lot of us, we just see one option and it's usually the one we like. Yeah, <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> of course. We're like, this is the only way this could go down. This podcast is going to go down on this day. Nothing's going to go wrong. Everything's going to be perfectly fine. I'm prepared only for that option. And then the day comes and it's a mess. The guests don't want to be found and the technology is not working. And you're like, what is going on with this? Like you did not prepare for this because you prepare for things to go a certain way. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we leave out the option that there are other things that can happen. Always remember that there are options that other things can happen. And that's really part of curing quote unquote depression or like getting to a point where you're not paralyzed. You're paralyzed because you think that there was only one one way it could go down and you didn't go down that way. And now you're like, what am I supposed to do? But if you always know that there are other options that it could go down, like that there are other things that can happen, then you are less likely to put all your emotional eggs on that basket. Most of us, and I think this is a human thing. I don't think this is like a depressed thing or a woman thing. But I think most of us, we go through life with this ebbs and flows where at times we on a high, I think about it like a curve, like a curve that's like a wavelength type of situation where the curve goes up and then it comes down and then it it goes back up again. And we all have this, that curve is like life, right? And sometimes life, you feel like you're at a high. Oh my God, everything's going great. Everything's perfect. I love my life. Yes, 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 yes. Hashtag black girl magic. Then you go, something happens. Life continues to go into cycles and you hit a low. And in the low, you're like, I hate life. Life hates me. Everything is happening to me is terrible. I don't know why this is happening to me. Oh my God, like I hate this. Like somebody please save me. I cannot see past my media pain. Oh my goodness, what's going on in my life right now? I feel like I cannot control anything. And then life continues to happen. And then you find yourself in that high again. Because you're like, something has to change. I'm on this low. I can't be in this low anymore. Something has to change. So then you start making changes in your life and your, your graph comes back up. And before you hit that peak, you're like, 
doing everything. You're probably exercising, you're eating healthy, you, the kids are fed and dressed and school is going fine and your husband is feeling good about the marriage and you're feeling good about the marriage and everything's going perfect. And then you get to that top and you're like, yes, I'm at the top of the world. And then the world starts coming back down. What happens between you being at the top and the world coming back down? Why is the world coming back down? Why can't you stay at the top? Well, we get comfortable at the top and we start feeling like, oh, I got this. It's mm-hmm. in the bag. So I don't got to do as much anymore because I got it. So we stop doing the things that were allowing us to be on the top in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that's where we go down because we are no longer catering to ourselves the way we were doing. We were at the top. So we naturally go to the bottom because that's the type of work that we are doing. That's why people say the work that we do is a manifestation of where we are. If you are at the top, it's because you're doing the work to stay at the top. And if you're at the bottom, it's because you are not doing the work to stay at the top. You're doing the work that lets you to the bottom. Preach. Something needs to change. And you kind of see it coming sometimes where it's like your, your, your graph is about to dip. Like you're going lower and lower and you're like, I'm about to hit bottom right now and I don't want to hit bottom. And you kind of start trying to figure out what's going on, but you still, you still think you got it because you be arrogant about ourselves. And the more arrogant you are, the less likely you are to see a situation clearly because you think you got it. So now you're not available to what it really is. And then when you hit bottom, everything else crashes. So you are forced to stop and you are forced to see things for what they truly are in order to address them. And that's why I think depression hangs out at. It's at the bottom part when, when things are going terrible and you feel like life hates you and you hit it back. And then you're like, okay, I actually like life. I want to come out of this mess. And then you're figuring out why am I stuck? Why can't I move? What's keeping me from taking action? And then you start unpacking that stuff. You start unpacking the emotional baggage. You start accepting and surrendering to where you are so that you can change because you want to and not because you think you have to Mm. without fully understanding how it impacts your behavior. Quick question. When's the last time you had a breakfast that actually felt good to you? I'm not talking about a sugary bowl of cereal that you inhaled on the way out the door because you feel like you don't have time I'm talking about a breakfast that is nourishing to your body. I have to say that breakfast is so much better for me because of Daily Harvest. And shout out to them for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. So we know that mornings are really hectic. And it's the time that you probably, food is probably the last thing you're thinking about. But I don't know about you, but I always feel better and more productive when I get something in my stomach in the morning that actually feels good to me and that keeps me going. So... The cool thing about Daily Harvest is that everything I make from them takes about five minutes max to put together. Daily Harvest delivers carefully sourced, chef-crafted food that's actually built on fruits and vegetables. You can choose from over 50 options for any time of day. They have the ready-to-blend smoothies, the savory harvest bowls, soups, and so much more. So when you place your order, everything comes directly to your home. So it's just one less thing that you have to think about. Each of the single serving cups that you receive only takes one step to prepare. So all you have to do is add water or almond milk to a smoothie or heat up one of your harvest bowls. Out of everything that I've tried so far, the mint and cacao smoothie is my favorite because it actually reminds me of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Yes, it does. And I feel like that banana that's in there just makes the cacao a little sweet. It's some spinach in there, but of course you don't taste that. It's just really, really good. All I do is dump the ingredients from my cup into the blender, put a little bit of almond milk with it, and and within like two minutes, everything's done. There's no chopping, nothing, any other prep work that I have to do. Another cool thing too is that you actually see all of the ingredients when you open up your cup, and there's no surprises. Every ingredient is something that you will recognize. Daily Harvest is the easiest and most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables first thing in the morning, before bed, or any time of day. As a listener to my podcast, I have a special offer for you. To get three free cups in your first box, all you have to do is go to daily-harvest.com and enter the promo code BROWNVEGAN. Once again, that is daily-harvest.com, promo code BROWNVEGAN for three free cups. We have to continue to do the work, right? But what what are some of the things that you can do or that you suggest that we do when we feel like it's coming on, because I know for what? myself, I feel like I shouldn't sit in it. That's what I noticed for myself. Don't, don't, mm. uh, don't sit in it. Meaning well, I think 
Don't go. Yeah, get I'm about to say, defi- define to me what that means. Yeah, like don't go get in the bed. You know, don't sit in it for days. Like it's okay to take a moment or start start thinking about where is this coming from? Why is this happening? Because a lot of times I notice it might not even be true what I'm thinking. Well, well most of the mm-hmm. time it's probably not even true what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So being more proactive about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you say don't sit in it, and you define sitting in it as like literally getting in the bed because I think. I think sit in it, but I think when you sit in it, when I define that, I define sitting in it as asking yourself these questions about why, how is this making me feel and why do I feel like that? And then what would I like the conditions to be in my ideal world? I find that that's what sitting in it means to me. And I'm, mm-hmm. so, I'm so interested in the fact that we had these different definitions for the same phrase because I think this is a really like a a teaching moment for everyone listening that you can be using the same words but people have different meaning for those words so that's what you have to ask people to define these words for you so that you can know that y'all on the same page and usually what's happening with depression I think from my experience particularly is that I wasn't on the same page with myself is that I was thinking I'm supposed to be some perfect human being And my reality is that I'm not this perfect human being because I'm not on this universe to be perfect. I'm on this universe just to be, just Mm -hmm. to be who Lenore is to be. No matter what it is, that's my role is to be part of this grand design. No matter what I decide to do, I I could do as much as I want to. I could do as little as I want to. I could be as happy as I want to, as miserable as I want to. And that's my role will be fulfilled. But I thought that I had to be, you know, in this specific way, this perfect person that does no wrong, that, you know, does everything by the books and, and, and follow these rules. And that's the person, that's when I got depressed because I wasn't living up to the ideal that I thought I was supposed to live up to. So I felt like a failure. So it goes back to what you were saying about when you had, like, you know, we had the job and everything was going so on paper. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like on paper we good, but in real life we're not. We no. Just, Cause it's not being true to who you are and what you It's not, it's not. Some, let's talk about like some of the symptoms of what, you know, what does this look like? I feel like there's people who are walking around and not even really considering that's probably what's going on with them because mm-hmm. there's so much of a stigma, even though I feel like it's getting better, mm-hmm. there's still a stigma, you know, some shame about, you know, depression mm-hmm. overall. So what are some symptoms that people should be aware of? Before I go and share this, I want to be very clear that there are so many ways that depression can manifest itself. Like we are all different people. So there are different things, um, triggers and actions that your depression might lead you to do. And while these are some of the common ones, there are some that I probably can't even think about that maybe you are going through. So it's really important for you to, to really be on the lookout for what is the trigger instead of so much the trigger itself. I think that um, I'm going to go over some of the options and some of the symptoms or things that I've seen to be triggers for some people. But I will want to start by saying that you have to be open to see what is a trigger. What is a trigger for you? What happens when a trigger shows up for you? And the way that you start noticing that is by monitoring your body language. What happens when you're in a situation that's triggering you? Is it triggering joy? What's happening when it triggers joy? Do you smile? Do you feel calm? Do you feel at ease? Or is it triggering anger? What happens when you're anger, angry? Like, is your body tense? Do you feel like yelling? Do you feel like crying? Do you feel like screaming? Do you feel like cursing people out? Does it trigger sadness? Do you feel like retrieving and going into a room by yourself and kind of calling into a ball? Like, just be really aware of what's happening to your body when something is triggering you. Because if you don't understand what a trigger feels like to you, and trigger could be positive or negative trigger. Like love can trigger something beautiful in you. It still triggers it. I don't want to have like a negative connotation to the word trigger because people be like, oh my God, this may trigger. And, you know, it tends to have a negative, like a painful feeling attached to it. And the word trigger just means that a reaction was occurred as a result of it, right? So really monitoring your body so that you can see how you feel. So next time you feel happy, you should be like, oh, I'm happy today. Well, how do I feel when I'm happy? Okay, I want to smile. I'm not stressed. My mind feels clear. I'm out of peace. Everybody looks like they're nice to me. I like it. Mm-hmm. This is happy. And then you're like, this is when I am when I'm sad. This is how I behave. This is how my body responds to it. This is how people act around me. Okay, that's how I know what that is. And you want to start cataloging these emotions so that you can know what to reference to. Now, once you have your catalog of those emotions, 
then you want to be on the lookout for how different things keep you in the negative world, like in the world of like, I'm fearful, I'm worried, I'm angry, I'm, you know, things that, things that incur those feelings of like anxiety and uneasiness. Sometimes we don't, we cannot, we don't know how we feel, but we know something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel at ease. Something feels off. Sometimes you know more, you know that you feel stuck. I feel like I can't move. So if that's where, like, that's, that's, you want to start monitoring that stuff because that's also going to teach you when something is going on and you're like, I feel like I can't move, you know that, bam, that's a trigger. We need to talk about this one right here. So I think having that initial knowledge is very important because you cannot monitor your symptoms if you don't know how to define something as a symptom because then you're just going to be like, all right, I'm, this is the core, this is the root, or I don't know what's going on, or you're going to go Google yourself on WMD and you're going to be like, I got cancer or something. So we don't want to do that. Mm, right. Um, and I think so at, before you begin looking for symptoms, be really clear, like observe and surrender. People say surrender. What do you mean when you say surrender? It means look at yourself for who you are. Look at how you respond to these feelings, to the feelings of joy, the feelings of sadness, of anger, of fear or worry and monitor your body reactions because that's how you'll be able to know because your body tells you, but you, you don't know unless you're paying attention. So once you have that, then you want to be like, all right, it's time to see what's causing me to feel this way. And there might be things that might be happening. Let's say something happened at work. And as a result of that, now you feel like you can't eat. Now you're feeling sad. Okay. So now you can start seeing the situation at work left me feeling sad. And you can start asking yourself, well, why do I feel sad? You know, and get into that deeper situation later. So sadness could be a symptom, but so can be anger. One of my mentees, her depression was manifested towards anger. She was angry at everybody. Another thing could be eating, whether it's eating more or eating less, uh, drinking, exercising, exercising more or exercising less. At the height of my depression, I was the smallest frame I had ever been. Then I felt like it was the only thing I could control. So I just did a lot of it. The root is what matters. Like, what is, what is my intention behind doing this thing? And that's what it means when, when, I, when I use the term root, getting to the root, is where is this coming from? What is your intention for acting this way? Or what was going on in your life in that moment that first taught you to act this way? Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I use the word root. So my intention for exercising was to mask what I was feeling in other places. Yeah. yeah. The exercise itself is good. You're supposed to be strong and healthy. But when you do too much of it because you want to mask something, just only, you only have to do more of it. Because what happens is that voice in your head that you're trying to hide gets louder and louder and louder. So the more the loud the more loud it gets, the more you have to do to quiet down. Mm-hmm. And that's why you work out more because you think about it more, and you're like, I don't want to think about it. I'm gonna work out more. Mm-hmm. I feel like just based on what you're saying, with everything you've said, that a lot of your clients probably write a lot, huh? Do you recommend people processing it that way, or just how do you? I guess it was different for everyone. But as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, that would be something good to write about. You know, that'll be something good to help yeah. process some of those feelings. Oh, yeah. Is that something that you typically suggest to your clients or how does that look? Yeah, yeah. I suggest to my clients, um, basically, so today, I just spoke to one of my clients. She actually called me about a crisis going on. And what I walked her through was, how do you have a concept or a framework to deal with this? And, and what kind of questions to ask herself? And just sitting down with that and ask, and letting herself process those feelings. Because a lot of us don't process how we feel because we are scared of what processing our feelings feels like. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense why we're scared because we haven't really been taught to process your feelings. And if you haven't been taught to do something, it's going to be much harder for you to do it because you're going to be afraid of it. If somebody didn't teach you how to... Um, you know, sometimes when you go on like vacation or even when you see it on TV, like in Hawaii, they have people with like this tools that have like fire on either side and they just like, like wands, but they have like fire and they're just doing all those type of tricks with them. Mm-hmm. For you, that would be petrifying. Heck what yeah. if I burn myself? I'm not doing that. Like, no. But for, for the child that's been doing this since they were a baby, they're like, this is child's play. So it's the same perspective where it's like, if it's new to you, you're going to be afraid. But if you do it little by little, you're going to get over that fear because you're going to start realizing that processing your feelings actually is healing. It actually feels really good once it's done. Yes, it's painful. Why is it painful? 
because you have to accept things about yourself that you have been convinced that you're not supposed to have. You're not supposed to be a quote-unquote failure. You're not supposed to be the person that doesn't take care of themselves. You're not supposed to be the person that doesn't pay their bills. You're not supposed to be the person that doesn't call mama on Sundays. You're Mm -hmm. not supposed to be the person that doesn't do this, doesn't doesn't do that. You have this whole list of things that you're not supposed to do that you are doing. Yes. And you feel like the longer I say I don't do these things, the longer I can keep up the appearance that I don't do these things. But that's not true. You do what you do, whether you like it or not. And when you surrender and when you accept I do these things, it's actually much easier to change those things because then you know that you do it and you're like, okay, I drink three copies of t- three cups of coffee a day. <sighs> That's a lot of coffee a day, but I have to cut back on that. So yes, I like my three cups of coffee a day. I'm going to go down to two cups of coffee so that I can get to one cup of coffee because I understand that drinking this three cups of coffee a day doesn't help me because blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's a different conversation than well, can't drink coffee no more. Go and call Turkey tomorrow. And then you drink <laughs> more coffee the next week, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that, that's the difference between surrendering and, and, and even saying things like, oh, I don't drink that much coffee. I could quit coffee anytime. Boom, done. Coffee's over. It's a different conversation of surrender that you're having with yourself. And we feel like we shouldn't have to have this conversation with ourselves because we got it and we're grownups and we, we know how to deal with this. But we have never really been trained or taught how to process our feelings and how to go through life with these feelings and process other people's feelings too. We haven't really been, been taught how to do that. So I don't know why we think we're supposed to be experts at it. That's so true. We haven't been. And then I feel like even if the people who, when, you know, when we're younger, especially I feel like women were more likely to be um, allowed, I guess, quote unquote, allowed to be emotional about things. Mm-hmm as we get older, it's seen as a, a weakness. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. seen as something. So we don't want to face things. And that's why it's so easy mm-hmm. for us to ignore it or go on social mm-hmm. media, space out for hours and just don't care. So I definitely mm-hmm. can understand that. What do you think about mm-hmm. speaking of social media? Like, how do you feel that that contributes to some of the you know issues that we have with depression? Do you think it does? Do you think it really matters? Like, how do you feel about that? Um, I think it depends on where your mindset is at when you're in social. I think that if you have the type of mindset where you accept yourself and you love yourself, and there are things about you that you would change, that you want to change, but you already have surrendered to this is who you are and you are comfortable in your own skin. If you are in that place, then you can use social more healthily Mm -hmm. than someone that is not in that place. Yeah. And and I, I think that, yes, social media has a lot of positive things that can come out of it. Like I don't, I don't want to act like I'm not on there. But at the same time, you have to be very vigilant and overprotective of what you allow to enter your emotional space. And it's very difficult to monitor your emotional space when you can see literally anything at any moment that can trigger you. So I think that if you are using social, like just be monitor how social makes you feel. Like I would say when you are on social media, is your body feeling relaxed or is your body feel tense? Mm -hmm. Do you feel joy or do you feel a little bit of resentment and anger and comparison and jealousy? Like what's happening with you? And then use that to determine how do you want to use social? Do you want to feel more of that or do you want to feel less of that? And that can be that can be a tool for you to understand. And I think a lot of people asking yourself, what's my intention on going to social? I'm going on social media today. Like, am I there to be a light for someone? Am I there to receive help? Or am I there to, you know, be petty and gossip? Am I there to just lurk on people's lives because I don't like my own life? Like asking yourself, what's my intention behind doing this is something that I I found very useful to monitor my intake on social media. Because mm-hmm. I do think that when you are on social media, it's more pro- you're more prominent and likely to compare yourself because you're seeing people's perfect lives that they have perfectly curated for you. Yeah. So from your perspective, you're like, oh my God, Nori's living such a great life. Like, I just want her life so badly. Yes, girl, because you be on that pole, Nori. You be on that pole. <laughs> <laughs> and Nori be the best. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in beautiful Florida. <laughs> I am in sunny Florida, but I would say we miss you up here. Let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. I'm so joyful to be able to share that I'm in Florida because 
from my perspective, that's like a manifestation of a dream of mine, manifestation of being able to live in a warm place close to the beach, close to the water. So to me, that's like, oh my God, like I did it. Like I, I said, I wanted to do this and I'm doing it right now. This is so awesome. And I think that's the part that, that I wish people could, could experience more that feeling of just, uh, it's like accomplishment, but it's even deeper than that because you're basically going against everything that everyone says to do. You know, when I moved to Florida with my husband last year, we quit our jobs and we were like, we're going to launch this business and we're going to figure our stuff out. And we pulled out money of our retirement fund and we left and we made less than $3,000 once we were living here working. Mm -hmm. And that was at the end of last year. And I just felt like, Oh my God, there's so many scary things happening. I don't know how long it's going to take us to make money. I don't know if this idea is going to work or not. I don't know if I'm going to succeed, but I know that I'm joyful because I wanted to do this thing. I wanted to be by the beach. I don't like cold weather and I'm doing it right now. So anytime I feel like there's something I cannot achieve, I look outside my window and I remind myself that I'm not in DC right now where it's cold or it's warm, but that I don't have to deal with you know, that, that life anymore or that I chose to not be in that space anymore and took action. Yes. So that's the powerful piece about that is the, just the joy of taking action. I know we are afraid of it because we are afraid of what makes us uncomfortable. And if you're listening to this and you're afraid of what makes you uncomfortable and you're like, yeah, no, yeah, I want to take action, but you don't know. It's, I'm so scared about what's, what's on the other side. And what if I'm not ready? And what if I don't know? Then, then you know, what if you are? If you don't know, if you don't know you're not ready, then you don't know that you're ready too. So what if you are ready? What if this is the time? And, and what if you die tomorrow? I know I hate to like be the person to say that, say that but like that's one thing that death really helped me. I, I, had a, I developed a respect for death with the death of my uncle. And I think a lot of us don't respect death. Mm-hmm. A lot of us feel like death is just, you know, this aloof thing that may happen or may not happen. And, and we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to surrender to the fact that it's real. We don't want to acknowledge it. And then I understand why. It could be really depressing and feel like, oh my God, I'm going to die tomorrow. I can't do nothing else. Like you can choose to go down that path, but you can also choose to go down a different path, down the path of like, I can die tomorrow and I want to be happy if that happens. What do I need to do today to be happy in case today is my last day on this earth? In case this moment is the last moment I have on this earth, I would die happy as hell. I'm talking about the work that I love to do the most about healing. Somebody might listen to this and feel empowered to take action for themselves. What else can I ask for? It's a pretty good way to go out. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I love how I feel like the, the, the theme of this conversation is setting intentions and being aware of what's going on. And I think it's so easy for us, especially if you you know have children and you have a spouse and then just life in general, just being busy working and everything. It's so sometimes it feels like you can't take that moment or those moments mm-hmm. to figure out what is it that you want and set that intention to make it happen for yourself. And that's just in anything. So I, I like that that's a theme of this conversation because just taking that time to figure it out for yourself, you know, give, if, if anything, have permission to do that <laughs> is what I hope this conversation Absolutely. does. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I think even with us using the word depression, right? Someone might be listening to this and be thinking to themselves, well, I don't really know if I'm depressed, y'all. Like I hear you, but I don't really know if that's what I would use to describe myself. And that's fine. Don't use the term depression. Don't label yourself like that if you don't want to. But if at the core you are feeling paralyzed and you feel like you're stuck and you cannot action and you cannot see beyond your immediate pain, you are exhibited symptoms of depression. And you don't have to call it depression, but you can get to the bottom of it. I think that's, that's my approach with it is, you know, in my life coaching practice, I really help women get unstuck. I help them see beyond their limitations, their own limited beliefs that they've put on themselves. And I give them, I, I show them where they hit the key. He's like, they have the keys for themselves, but they hit it because they've been learning too many things about too many different people creating this idea of who they're supposed to be, this patchwork of who they're supposed to be looking like at the stage of the game. And, and it's like that, you know, that's not it, right? Like, you know where the key is at. You forgot where the key is at. I'm going to show you where the key is at. Ooh, so I love that analogy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Noah, you got to tell us because I know that you're, of course, you're a life coach and you help women, like you said, get unstuck. So when someone mm-hmm. comes to work with you, what are some of the first steps that you take with them so that they can heal and uh, show up the way they want to in their lives? Hmm. It really depends on the client, I mm-hmm. believe, because 
my work is really designed for the client and whatever the client needs, that's what I'm available to them to give them. And, and I think when, when I was struggling with depression and I went to a therapist, I don't know how available my therapist was to exactly what I needed versus yes. just giving me what she felt that I needed to hear. That is an excellent point because I went to therapy as a child and I went as an adult and I felt like the process was the same. Like they're kind of all following that same format. And so I love that your process is more, is customized. Oh, that's good. Okay. Keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it because that's, that, those were the things that I wished I would have had differently. Right. So I, I specifically wanted to build an experience that I don't build on my own, that we build together. It's really about what does Monique needs? What does Nori need? Okay, let's do that. Um, I do think that there is an initial process that all my clients do go through is an education process. I establish our vocabulary with my clients. Like we talk about what words mean, what are the tools that we need to think about, what are the things that we need to be available for. A lot of us don't realize that we are unavailable to a lot of things. And, and when I went to therapy, I think the success of therapy really lies more in the mindset of the client. Because if you're not honest, you can go to as much therapy as you want. You don't get nowhere. Yeah, we're not even available to ourselves so that we can see ourselves for who we are so we can know what we need. Mm-hmm. So that's an issue for a lot of us. And, and I didn't go to therapy feeling judged. Like I, I didn't have any boundaries when it came to what I was sharing in therapy because I wanted answers. That's not the case for everybody. And, and that's not the case when people come to me too. I've had someone that was like, I want to work with you. I know you're going to be able to help me, but I'm not ready to be honest with myself. And I appreciate that because if you know you're not going to be honest with you, then you know you're not going to do it together right now because you guide the process. You are the person that we're going to be looking to like talk and understand. And if we cannot understand because you're not being honest, then we're going to understand another person. And it's important that you are honest because the process is about you. So I think the success of any program or life coaching or therapy, anything it has to, it comes with the person being in the right mindset. And, and that means being in a mind. And when I say by the right mindset, it's being in the mindset where they're ready for the help. Yes. A lot of times people are not ready for the help. And I knew I wasn't ready for the help in my own life at certain times. And that really got in the way of me being able to receive help and being able to heal. But when I was ready for the help, I was available to any help. Yeah, to do the work. That's it. Yeah, that's that's the part. And and we talk about doing the work a lot and maybe we want to spend a little bit of time talking about what it means to do the work. I knew you were going to do that to me. God (laughs) (laughs) darn Look, you are making sure that we are really clear on all these topics, which is good because you're right. I mean, the way I'm looking at things is different from you. So that's good. <laughs> I was like, she's going to say no, something. I said it again. <laughs> I said it. I was like, oh, man, she's going to get it. <laughs> Listen, but let me tell you why. This is so critical because people think that, so I'm going to say, and I've been this person before. Anytime I say people think is because at some point I've thought these things or I've experienced these things. That's how I know them. And, and I read a lot too. So I learn about things from there, but a lot of times we feel that if we talk about doing the work, it's the same as doing the work. Ooh. You know what I'm talking about? It's like sometimes yes, when, you, do. when you're when you like talking to your girlfriend, yeah, girl, I'm, I know something wrong. I'm about to go find this therapist. And, you know, we're going to talk about what's going on. I'm so grateful, blah, blah, blah. And the whole time you're just stuck in that process, like yep. the process of getting help. And you feel like by talking about the process of, doing, of getting help, you are actually doing the work that is required to get the help. There are studies behind this. Absolutely. It just makes you think, okay, because you, it's like something in your brain is telling you that it's already done, even though you haven't done mm-hmm. a damn thing. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. With me, with doing the work, it's important that we talk about that's, that's not doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a type of work that will get you to some results because eventually you'll get to the help or you'll maybe get to a part of the help, but that's not the work that I'm referring to. I'm referring to the work when you are doing the unpacking of your emotional baggage mm-hmm. and you are available to seeing that you see the world in a certain way and everybody around you sees the world in a completely different way that you do. What's an example and, of that? What do you mean when you say that? I mean that you, Monique, you have lived your life in a certain way. No one else has been by Monique's side the entire time of Monique's life. 
No one knows besides Monique has experienced the life that she has had in the way that she has experienced it. So it's the same way that it happens with me. The same things that are applicable to Monique are applicable to Nori. I can have an overlap of perspective with Monique, but it does not, it's not the same. We still have a very different perspective, but we have an overlap in our perspective. And because we have that overlap, we allow ourselves to be open to the things that are different about us because we have a point of connection. What happens when Yanori and Monique have an overlap, now Monique feels connected to Nori and Nori feels connected to Monique. And now because we are connected, Nori and Monique have a little more grace for each other on the things that they are different. And they are not available to understand those differences, not from a space of defending and judging, but from a space of seeing them for what they are. So what happens with most of us is that we don't understand that we are different people and we have these different things. And in the beginning, if we don't have that overlap, we dismiss the person. Yeah, they we don't, don't. They don't get it. They don't even, they don't, but done, canceled. So when we dismiss them, we don't allow ourselves to have that space of overlap because we really dismiss them. And some people you might not have that overlap with, but some people you will have it with. So I think just being open to the options is, is what, what gets in the way of us being able to see that. Yeah. Like a few minutes ago, you said, uh, so you, there may be some people listening and they're not really sure if this is them. Mm-hmm. Depression, if mm-hmm. this is something that they are dealing with, something that they are struggling with. What do you recommend that some people do to figure out if that's the case for them? Yeah, I think okay. asking yourself, am I feeling stuck right now? Do I feel paralyzed? Do I feel like I cannot make a decision? And when you asking yourself, do I feel paralyzed? What does that mean, right? Because I talk a lot about defining words. So when I use the word paralyzed, it means are you able to move in the direction that you want to move or in any direction? Or do you feel like it's safer to not move at all? If you feel paralyzed, if you feel like I know something is to change, but I don't know where to go, what I'm doing. So I'm just not doing anything. If that's how you're feeling, then you, you want to explore that. You want to get into that, that, like those are symptoms. Those are things you need to be on the lookout for. And that includes things like, Maybe you've been at a job for a really long time and you're not, you think it's time to go, but you're not sure yet. If that's where you are, if you're asking if you need time to go, then it's time to go. Or mm. maybe you're feeling like I'm in a relationship with somebody and I don't know if it's going to go anywhere right now. Like, once again, I don't know if I should transition or not. Then if you're feeling like that, ask of yourself what is missing in that relationship and then ask that person if they could give you that. And if the answer is no, then you need to go. If the answer is yes, then you can stay and work it out. But again, it comes back to what do you want? What is it that you truly desire? What do you want for yourself? Mm-hmm. What do you see? What does that look like for you? And then be very clear and specific around what is it that you want people to give you? And, and I think a lot of us are not honest enough. We're not clear. We want people to infer. You should have known. How come you didn't pick up on that? Well, how, well I got to tell you everything. Well, how come you don't know by now? One thing I realized about those particular comments, the more, the longer I'm married, the more I'm like, it is so unfair for me to ask that of my husband. Mm-hmm. How can he not know? How can he know? I change my mind all the time. I don't know what I'm thinking today. So how can he know? But again, you have to first slow down and be available for that, right? So if you see yourself asking these questions of yourself, like if you're transitioning and you're like, I'm not sure what, what I got to do, that's a sign you got to slow down and like ask yourself, is this the right move for me? Why or why not? And process how you feel about it. Um, if you're dealing with family members and you're like, I got to cut this person off, that's another sign that you might need to, to, to talk, to think about why you got to cut this person off. What's happening? What's your intention? I don't feel like I got to cut anybody off. Because I add, I don't let people's behavior dictate my behavior. Okay. So now I don't know about all that, Lori. <laughs> Some people, but, you got you to gotta look at them and, and you just say hi and then just, yeah. Because to me, cutting people off means like, I'm never talking to you again. Like, you yeah. know, the phone number type of situation. To me, it's like, I can see you anywhere. I might even be like, hey, hey, how you're doing? But I'm not going to. I'm not going to go out of my way to ignore you. Like I'm not going to exert additional energy on doing something to ignore someone. And that includes like blocking them and things like that. Because that means that I'm allowing that situation to infiltrate my space. And I don't have that type of 
self-assurance on myself so that that is it makes it easy for people to come into my space so the more i'm able to strengthen my own space the less i need to do that because mm-hmm. we don't penetrate my space like that good point yeah tell us about your podcast how we could follow you on social media like whatever you want us to do to be able to connect with you after this episode well, thank you for listening, number one. If you made it this far, it means that you have enjoyed this convo between Monique and I. So I'm grateful that, that you have done that, the podcast. So I have this podcast, this project of mine is called the Health Conscious Podcast and is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And the podcast is a series of conversations that have women of the diaspora around traditions and self-care and health and wellness. And this season... I'm actually going to be bringing on guests that are not going to be all women. I know, I know. I just, wait, did you tell me this? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I did tell you. We're going to be bringing a few fellas on the podcast this season. You did, because you told me that one of them is. Like, yes. That's right. You did tell me this. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll tell you who it was already. You did tell um, me. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. But I am talking to a several women of the diaspora. One of them, I just recorded her interview. Actually, she's a deaf doula. And a deaf doula is someone that helps take care of the emotional support for the family. So some of the examples that this particular guest shared with me was things like maybe calling Sprint to cancel phone number, phones, numbers and things like that, or um, helping sort out where are like passwords and things like that. So she does things like in the life planning where they help people plan for the end of their lives, what kind of funeral they want, what kind of do they want to be on life support, who makes the decisions for them, just a lot of stuff around the emotional support for families. Wow. And even with someone that is passing, like they are there to provide that physical support and to just help them navigate through some of that stuff. It's different than the hospice and doctors, but it's it's really very fascinating work in, in the conversation that I have with the guest. And then I'm also talking to my own husband. He's coming on the podcast and he's and I had a conversation about what it was like to be my partner while I was going through depression. And that's a very, it's a comment I'm very excited to release because I think a lot of times when people are struggling from being depressed or being stuck, we think about them. We don't really think about the support system around them and how they're working through that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think this episode is going to give uh, give a little glimpse into what that's like for people that are trying to be there for someone that's going through depression. Yep, that's good. That's really, really good and relatable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if you're interested in the work that I do, so specifically work with millennial women, and I help them get unstuck. I help them overcome feelings of depression. I help them overcome self-doubt and disappointments and, and take control of their lives. I really help them wake up every day with a smile on their face. Okay. And even when they don't, I help them find it. So that's what I do uh, with my life coaching practice. If you are more interested in that, please head to IamHealthyFit.com and you can set some time and, and apply for a chat to talk to me if you're interested. And, and see how I can support you. If you are a good fit for me, if you're a good fit for me and I'm a good fit for you, then let's dance to healthy, baby. Yes. And tell us about Instagram because I want them to see you dance. Tell them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love dancing. I love dancing, number one. And um, if you go on my Instagram at Nori Ponsel, N-O-R-Y-P-O-U-N-C-I-L, you'll see tips on how to help you become I would say more self-aware, how to help you identify these things about yourself. You'll see stories from my clients. And then you'll also see a few videos of me dancing. I'm going to start sharing more of my pole journey. I've been polling for four years. And I feel like I hadn't really been sharing as much because when I felt like my, my followers didn't want to see that, I feel like they didn't follow me for the dancing or nothing. And then I think part of me was a little like ashamed of, of it. Really? I think it's all the stereotype, the stereotypes or like the ideals that have to do with pole. Like I'm not immune to that. It's a human. So <laughs> I think there was a little bit about it that I was like, it's this on brand, it's this off brand. But in 2019, we are doing what we want, how we want, when we want. So yes, I'll be sharing way more pole videos with y'all about the journey of being a pole dancer and, and just being healthy. I think health doesn't have to look a certain way. And, and a lot of people don't want to be in the gym. Yes, yes, yes. You are living the life that you want on your terms and you are very intentional and that's why you're here where you are. So that's amazing. And thank you again for being on the show. 
Thank you, Monique. I'm so grateful and I appreciate you for thinking of me, for inviting me and entrusting me with your space, with the space of your listeners. With having a podcast, I know how special that relationship is. And everyone that I bring on my podcast, I really think about them really carefully and how my listeners are going to respond to them. So I'm just really grateful for for being honored with that space. And, and I know that someone that's listening to this episode is going to find this conversation helpful and they're going to find themselves and be, be they're going to see themselves and hear themselves and be like, oh my God, I found my tribe and I'm just excited for that person. And then if that's you, welcome. I hope this episode was helpful. Come over to my Instagram or Facebook page at Brown Vegan and let me know your thoughts. Also, be sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes to make it easy for other people to find us. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.